Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, nerds, and welcome to the Engadget Podcast. I am your host, Terrence O'Brien. This is episode 27, American Tune. I am joined this week by Sherlyn Lowe. Hi. Hi. What's what's with the face? Just because I don't like the title. You don't like the title? You don't like Simon and Garfunkel? I prefer Billy Joel. We had this discussion beforehand. There will yeah. be no titling of episodes after Billy Joel songs. Sorry. I don't understand why, but okay. Also joining me this week is Dana Woolman. Hello. Hello. <laughs> My brother is essentially having a Billy Joel wedding, by the way. So <gasps> you can come. Terrence can't come. Yeah, he should We'll party not. together. Wait. Yeah, let's do that. What do, what is a Billy Joel wedding? Well, you don't get to find out. <laughs> I just I just need to have this concept explained to the, me. The the fact that you don't know what it means it means you can't go. Okay. Yeah. I'll we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. All yeah. right, fine. <laughs> I'm so confused right now. <laughs> um so yeah, that's a great way to start the <laughs> show just with other utter confusion. <laughs> um Ugh. Let's go right into it though, guys. Let's not waste any time. Let's go straight to Flame Wars. Start the same way we do every week. This is where we debate sort of the biggest stories of the, of the week. Um, make your opening statement. You get 20 seconds. If you go overtime, I give you one of these. My favorite thing in the world. If you go overtime, we'll give you Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. I like yeah. that. Uh, at the end of it, I will declare a winner. There's points there. We still don't have the leaderboard up. That's because oh I'm failing gosh. at my job. Um, but we will do that. Hired? We will fix that. Uh, I promise. Soon. Uh, but let's start with the, so this is, I'm not going to lie, this is a story I'm not super up on. Uh, this was, um, something that Sherlyn brought to my attention. The OnePlus 3T, which I gather is a smartphone. <laughs> Good for you! Good for a step! Yeah. I I'm, like that. It's I'm, almost as if he reads this site called yeah, Engadget. Yeah. Once in a while I check it out. Or you know. curious yeah. about the brands. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the OnePlus 3T is a smartphone that apparently was artificially, or is artificially boosting its processor clock speeds uh, during benchmark tests. Um, so the question here, I guess, is, is OnePlus cheating? Is this a dishonest way to go about benchmarking? Or is this sort of an acceptable way to measure performance, considering that you know modern processors get boosted for specific um, applications anyway? <coughs> I'm putting up our 20 seconds, and Dana, you go first. I mean, yeah, technically it's it's cheating, but um, everyone does it, really. I mean, Samsung and HTC have already been called out for similar kinds of manipulations. And ultimately, I guess what I'm arguing is this sort of practice is standard, and that's why reviews in general should not be founded so much on benchmarks anyway. Fair enough. Your response, Sherlyn? So because everyone else is doing it, to Dana's point, even if it is considered kind of unethical, it levels the playing field a little bit and gives you a more accurate idea of where they're standing. Plus, no one really uses benchmarks outside of reviewers anyway, so it's not affecting the daily performance. I feel like what we're debating is like performance-enhancing drugs for athletes, except we're talking about something of much less consequence, which is imperceptible performance differences yeah. in smartphones. Yeah. I kind of feel like you both just made literally the same exact argument. Which which is my <laughs> argument, I think. I think. I mean, Dana was saying technically it is cheating, and I'm saying it's not just because the playing field. It's like a bell curve. I guess I'm saying it's cheating, but it's not news. Okay. And I'm saying it's not cheating because if everyone else Enough. is doing it, it's like grading on a bell curve. So... 
you think it's cheating and it doesn't matter. You don't think it's cheating and it still doesn't matter. That's literally the argument we're having. Basically, right now. it okay. doesn't matter. Okay. Which um. yeah. <laughs> Which, but to Dana's point, it basically means that reviewers have to be a lot more careful. Yeah. When, when testing a phone and something that we. I mean, yeah, it's it's all. I mean, it's like a pissing contest. Am I allowed to say that? You can say air? whatever oh, you it want. It is a pissing contest. It's 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 a fight over small differences in. Numbers, but the actual real-world performance difference is pretty imper- imperceptible. And yeah. we're talking about high-end phones across the board, many of which use the same processors and maybe the same amount of RAM. Um, so what are we talking about, and then why is that what we're focusing on, and why is this news? You know? So Samsung's been caught before, as you said. Um, do they still do that, though, or is that something that they've done in the past but have stopped, like that practice has ended over there? It's hard to say. They can. They they have said that they will stop, but um. I think too the um, occasional swapping in of new trendy benchmarks and the retirement of older benchmarks sort of um, maybe creates new opportunities for gaming the system. And I mean, the reason why it's news here, also, I mean, it, OnePlus has such a huge fan base, and a lot of it's you know Do appeal. They? Yeah, OnePlus. Well, you just because you're a plebeian. <laughs> Um, doesn't mean, you know, they don't have a huge... I'm just trying to think of the last time I saw a OnePlus phone not at the Engadget office. I've seen them out in the wild a lot, but that's because I hang out with cooler people than you do, so... Um, But anyway, my point was that OnePlus actually came out, admitted that they did it, and they promised to not do it again. That's the Um, unusual part, isn't it? Yeah, it's very... It's strange for them to just admit they did it anyway. Well, Samsung copped to it, didn't they? They admitted it when they did it. And that was... I think it took longer for them to, 20, to own that it. That was 2014? It. Yeah. So... That was more of a scandal back then, too. Because that was... Was that the first time they were using their own Exynos chip versus a Qualcomm? Mm, that might have question. been... Because that might I have been look. the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I mean... I would be more offended, I think, if phone makers misled people about battery life. Yeah, especially like a phone like the 3T. I think we praised it for having long yes. battery life. So if it turned out that that long battery life was um, really not that long in real in real world use, yeah. I'd be kind of pissed. But if you're saying it deserves a slightly lower score on a performance benchmark, who cares? Yeah, and it's like you said, imperceptible. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, um, and nobody yeah. cares about benchmarks. Well, I do. But, um, do you? It's vaguely. What it, benchmarks do we still run on phones? We use, uh, I guess, some outdated ones. Sun Spider. I believe 3D Mark. Is one we of them. 3D Mark is a graphics test that we use. Um, we don't use Geekbench. We use Andy and 3E Andy Andy Bench, mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of others. You don't even know what these mean. So Mostly why do you ask? We just use the products. I have. I yeah. haven't written a smartphone review in like three years. Yeah. So I don't know And that's know why anymore. this doesn't make sense to you, yeah, this maybe. Is, <laughs> I don't care. But, yeah, <laughs> but regardless, I think the news point of it, again, is to remind us, once again, as reviewers, how important it is to do your real-world testing. I literally feel like I could just flip a coin for whoever wins this, and this that's literally what I'm going to do. Considering I'm going to lose the next two, I feel like this Dana one is... Dana is heads, Sherlin is tails, and... Tails. Yay! <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I'm not going to completely lose this one. So, okay, there we go. Awesome. Yay. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, I'm glad I flipped that coin <laughs> well. I also enjoy that I can just Google flip a coin and, and it does all the work one. for me. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the ACLU and Y Combinator. <sighs> you don't look excited about this. I'm not excited about Flame Wars today. No? Just every day. Just every day? Yeah. Um, so... This past weekend, the ACLU raised, what, $24 million. Um, that's more than they generally raise in a year. Yeah. In a single weekend. Yeah. Um, pretty crazy. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a stunning amount of money. Um, and to cope with this, they, for some reason, turned to Y Combinator as a way to help them uh, <laughs> manage all of this cash. Uh Sherlyn, you're going to try and tell me why this partnership makes sense. <laughs> why Combinator is a very successful uh, venture capital company that, you know, is founded in a lot of tech startups or has helped a lot of tech startups grow. Um, and, you know, for ACLU 
to join their school, you know, is, this is also one of the open available outlets for them to go turn to for help that won't really, that has, has track record. So that's it. I'm not Dana. all here today. First of all, um, Y Combinator is an inappropriate choice because Y Combinator has not severed ties with funder Peter Thiel, who of course has strong ties to Trump, the Trump administration. Which is the very reason that the ACLU has won yes, in the first place. Yes, but mm-hmm. also, um, how can you be one of the largest and oldest um, nonprofits in this country and not be good at managing funds? <laughs> Oh, the ACLU? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. They well, don't have, because they, they're just not used to having this much funds. Well, I think. I think. Do they not have people on their large staff who can advise on how to budget and spend money? Why do they need outside help if you're that big and old um, and experienced of an organization? So, what I thought was kind of interesting, though, is that they turned to Y Combinator. Not that the ACLU doesn't have people who can do this in-house necessarily, but there are other nonprofits mm. who do exactly this sort of thing. So I found it weird that they would turn to Y Combinator as like, you know, being that they're an accelerator and, you know, a venture capital firm and whatever else, rather than turning to other nonprofits whose sole job is to manage money for you know, these kind of so some of the some of the reasoning behind it, at least according to our article, is that you know um, Y Combinator. This will provide ACLU access to a lot of Y Combinator's network contacts and sources. So if ACLU needed more help, and again, a lot of the money that they got over the weekend was from the immigration ban, and a huge, you know, opponent of that ban has been the tech industry. So I mean, this kind of lends ACLU the chance to get more money. Because Y Company obviously knows where to get money from. So mm-hmm. this might be like, I mean, that to me seems like at least kind of a, a parallel course. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It's early in the morning. It's, it is early in the morning. Yeah. But that, I, I get what you're saying. That would suggest that ACLU's main focus going forward is to get even more money. When True. the stated purpose, I think, was to figure out how to invest and spend that money. I almost think that it's also to align itself with the big tech giants that that would have the power to take down something like the immigration ban and more proposed executive orders. My instinct would say, if you're as big of an organization as the ACLU, um, that got so much attention this past weekend and was able to get so much money in the first place, wouldn't you have a direct line to someone like Tim Cook or the CEO of any other big tech company? Would you even need Y Combinator as a middleman? I feel like you would think they would have those direct connections, but I don't know. I mean, my idea of ACLU in the past wasn't that it's a big and old and established. I know it's old and has a long history, but from the emails I've been receiving over the past two years that I've been like a big paying member of ACLU, um, they've the, the the need and the thirst that comes across from these emails signals to me that they need more help than they've let on. Well, I mean, any nonprofit, any well, like, is going to charity is going to be like that. I mean, I know. Um, if you donate to the Sierra Club, you're going to get the same like really Oof. desperate emails for money. If you accidentally signed up for uh, Donald Trump's mailing list, you're going to get this. <laughs> you're going to get this. No, that is that is not a thing I did on purpose. Okay. Yeah. No. I. Terrence. I emailed the campaign asking for a comment on the story and once, they and they put me the on list. their mailing list for donations. Did they at least give you comment? No. <laughs> they just. I just started receiving solicitations for donations. Okay, that's, I get that's I get a thing the that point. happened. Um, I mean, Dana is right. They should probably have some kind of connections. I get what Y Combinator gets out of it. I think that they. Um, this is my theory. I'm mm-hmm. not going based on any quotes that have been printed in the press, but. Um, Why are you going to be fake news, Dana? I'm fake news. (laughs) They must know, right, that um, Peter Thiel is odious, and they must feel somewhat embarrassed by that connection. And having this partnership with the ACLU might help restore Y Combinator's um, reputation or what they'd like for it to be its reputation as, um, if not a more progressive organization, a not fascist one. Fair enough. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of see what they get out of it. Yeah. 
Um, I don't get what the ACLU gets out of it, though. I mean, again, maybe the tech connections and the chance to, again, this is a company, a venture capital company that has proven it's able to make a lot of money, invest, make the right investments. Mm -hmm. So probably that kind of a know-how, but there are other sources. You guys like banks. (laughs) I think there's, there's a lot more insidious choices out there than, than Y Combinator. I don't know. No, I mean, I, I don't think the choice is like, um, like, I don't think there's anything insidious about Y Combinator yeah. or anything. It's just an odd decision. Like, that's just, to me, it just strikes me as strange more than anything else. I think it's progressive. Progressive. Um, I'm going to give this one to Dana. Uh, sure, I expected that. Yeah. It's, it's okay. This it's is right. that kind of a week. It's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you're split one and one right now. Yeah. Well, I know I know what the result's going to be, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's end Flame Wars, though. Oof, yeah. With Adoptly. F those guys. <laughs> so Adoptly, for those who don't know, was a Kickstarter campaign for um, an app that was basically Tinder for babies. Um, it offered you a selection of profiles for children who were up for adoption, and you could swipe right or left on them to decide. And being a Kickstarter, you could donate real money to them. Yeah. So... Turns out, all a hoax, guys. It was a big joke. Hey, it, was it was an art. art project. It was an art project. Satire. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, God. How, how do you even phrase this question? <laughs> um, so, Dana, is this legitimately art, or is this simply an evil scheme um, I think it was definitely mean-spirited. I think that, I, I think for me the line was that they accepted real people's money and that when reporters attempted to confront them about possibly being fake, they lied. Um, so I think that they could have accomplished satire, satirizing the sort of tone-deaf tech industry without taking real, peop- real parents' money and without lying to the press. In just under the wire. Fill in. <sighs> Well, so based on the email that, you know, the people behind Adopley sent to Nate Ingram, they actually didn't think anyone would buy it in the beginning. So I didn't, I didn't, they don't think they had intention to take money for real and to make That's people sad. That's what they said. Um, but art-wise, it's freedom of expression. I don't want to argue for them. You don't have to. I don't we can, really we can, to. We can all just... I tried. We can all just agree that it's a <laughs> terrible thing. Everybody yeah. wins except Adopley. But let's um let's ex- I kind of want to explain a little bit after reading the email the mm-hmm. long email well, that they sent. Okay, I'll, long I'll, email which which took no responsibility. Yeah, we they didn't. Yeah. So before you do read the email, I do want to okay. say one thing, which is that even if they didn't think people were going to give them money and pay for the stupid thing, why would you start a Kickstarter? Why go to kick like so put here, together there's, there's put a together a fucking yeah. website like yeah. a joke app and call it a day. And if if they if the intention was supposedly not to deceive people because if they thought it was so ridiculous people wouldn't be deceived why would you lie when people when people ask you ask? if it's yeah. Just, yeah um so that's why I think this this goes beyond just um satire I think that this was a mean spirited joke and it was crappy of them to um pawn off any responsibility when called on it. So so to explain a little bit what mm-hmm. they say was the reason they went to Kickstarter instead of anything else, they go, we decided to launch it on Kickstarter rather than frame it as a company that was already funded or in beta as a way to add a tinge more believability that this was a group of naive entrepreneurs launching a misguided startup. It seemed to work. So like because it's a Kickstarter, you're more you're more likely to believe that it's a real thing. I mean, here's the thing. That people dumb enough to start a Kickstarter project, you know, came up with. I could see it being a real thing without the need for a Kickstarter campaign. Like, there are so many dumb, misguided products out there. I don't need your Kickstarter to convince me. You could have just released it, and I would have been like, yeah, that seems like a dumb thing that somebody would do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also the fact that even the fact that they were on Kickstarter didn't stop the, a lot of us from calling it a hoax or fake, right? I mean, me. we were all pretty suspicious of it from yeah. moment one. Yeah. Um, 
but they and steadfastly claimed that it was a real thing yeah. for the first couple of weeks. And kind of the way they, they, they framed the email to Nate was, um, we liked how you handled things, and so we've decided to share the real story behind Adoptly with you below. And that, to me, was where the mean-spirited gotcha. Right, there's that's, no, like, there's no <laughs> sorry we lied to you, sorry that we wasted your time, right. sorry that we deceived anybody. Yeah. Um, it's... No, I mean it's it's that email and that tone um, that I yeah. think is really terrible. It's God. they yeah they had a lot of the, you know there's it's a really long email. One section of it was on the reactions to the project, and and you know they're like yeah a lot of people hated us, but some people actually you know gave us positive reaction, saying uh, many people encouraged us to keep pushing for modernizing the process of adoption despite criticisms of the interface itself in order to find better solutions. So they're saying that even people within the adoption community who you know actually saw it as beneficial told them to keep looking into something similar but not a swipe style UI. So I don't know. It stinks. Um, well, and how did they make the world a better place? And they I mean, didn't. So they, 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 no. they lampooned what they, how, what they think the tech industry is. But what did they really accomplish? Other than pissing us off, what did they accomplish? Um, what point did they make and how did they make the world a better place through that? I mean, unless, unless because of this people are going to stop making swipe do they make me think about how terrible the tech industry is, or do they make me think about what assholes they are? The I mean, latter. I, yeah. Yeah, I thought about both. I mean, I do think that there's a lot of... I didn't need them to make me think that right, the tech true. industry is terrible, though. Like, it's not like they were shining a light on something that we didn't recognize or didn't all know. Like, if you pay it all attention to the... We, we have Silicon Valley. Like, have you seen Silicon Valley? It does everything you're claiming to try and do, but better. I also feel in this climate, and with everything that's going on, um, yeah. how can you delight in creating what you know to be fake news and then lying when people ask critical questions? Um, this yeah. is not the time. of, of there, I mean, it's, I don't think fake news has ever been helpful, but really this is not the time to... Make that your hobby. Yeah. Um, creating but, and disseminating fake news. Find a more useful, productive job. Can we ban the phrase fake news, by the way? I but would, this was fake news. Yeah, no, I mean, I get it. I just... Uh, I would love to stop hearing it. It is one of those things. I'm just like, the, at this point, it's a phrase. It's like when Internet like, of Things started twitch coming up. Makes I, me twitch. Okay, yeah, it's, it's in the same thing. But, um, I mean, just to wrap it up, I think I agree um, with Dana that, you know, if it is the timing of it and the, and the intention uh, and the denying of, of the fact. When, when we did our jobs as reporters to ask you and verify the facts if it was true, short of really digging into your company documents, the fact that they said no and lied, that's where it crossed the line for me. Um, so even though I don't want to lose a point, I I would not disagree if you gave the point to Dana. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, it's just abundantly clear that these are two people, the guys behind this, who just have like no sense of humor. What's well, I shouldn't say that. they have they have a terrible sense of humor. I mean, these the their previous project was Pooper, which was supposed to be uh, Uber for dog shit. That's how it marketed itself. Yep. Like it's not funny. It's not satire. It's just dumb. Gross. Yeah. Um. I l I would love to see them turn their energy or attention on something more productive. I feel like they would be able to do something more useful. Mm, I would prefer they Hopes. just disappear. I like to have hope in humanity. <laughs> I know it doesn't seem that way sometimes. What's that? Um, they remind me of those guys. Um, what's that Judd Apatow movie, Knocked Up, where all the Seth Rogen's um, stone dude bro friends are trying to make this website that just shows the nude scenes mm -hmm. in, in movies? <laughs> yeah, these are like his, his like stone loser Dude, bro, friends. Yeah. yeah. No, that's an insult to actual stone people. I know lots of lovely stone people. Yeah. But no, these are just useless dude bros. Yeah. No, it's terrible. Um, I think I think we'll, yeah, we know the answer to this. No, nobody gets a point. Nobody wins. Oh, yay, so it's a tie. It's a tie. Yay. Yay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, fuck Adoptly. Sorry, guys. Let's move on, though, to group chat, our, mm -hmm. our, our, big, our big talk of the week. Which, um, once again, is going to be about Donald Trump, but which is, I feel like, going to happen quite a lot over the next several years. Hopefully. Until, um, I, until I get fired, presumably. 
Hopefully with more Arnold Schwarzenegger though in the coming yes. weeks. That would that would make me happy. Yeah. Um, so I really, honestly, I really did this week want to get away from it, but there's just no avoiding it. I know. I did want to when I when I proposed it to you as a topic. I was like, I'm not feeling it, but we kind of have to. We have to. Um, so this last weekend, <laughs> yes, Donald Trump signed an executive order barring refugees, new refugees from the country, and shutting down at least temporarily immigration from seven, seven majority Muslim nations. Um, we're not going to talk about that as a broader topic. Um, I think people probably have an inkling as to what our personal opinions are about it. But I did want to talk about the tech industry's reaction to it. Um, so one of the first to come out against it, though, was... Uh, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, correct? Yeah, in a decidedly more neutral way than a lot of other companies. I think Sundar Pichai uh, from Google came out, uh, or at least uh, was reported to have sent a memo to his employees asking them to come back as soon as possible. Um, and a lot of, I mean, Lyft's donation to the ACLU came pretty quickly. It wasn't one of the first, but it was definitely a, a strong stance versus what Zuckerberg said, which was, I mean, I don't remember the exact words, but I remember they were very neutral sounding. So I have Zuckerberg's statement in front of me. Um, And he definitely wasn't as aggressive as some others, but he also was pretty transparent about what his opinion was and I think um, made it personal Mm -hmm. in a way that uh, I think is relatively effective, you know, I'll just read the Mm -hmm. opening part of it, I won't, because it's a very long statement. Well, not very long, but relatively long statement. But he leads off by talking about how his great-grandparents came from Germany and Austria and Poland, and that uh, Priscilla's parents, his his wife, were refugees from China and Vietnam, and, you know, talking about how the United States is a nation of immigrants and we should be proud and all this stuff. So, I mean, he personalizes it and humanizes it, which is nice, Um, but he does stop a little bit shy of some of the other... Yeah. companies. Whereas, I mean, I think Tim Cook has wondered aloud in interviews if there's room for legal action, which is a much stronger stance. But I think we should backtrack a bit just to underscore for people why this is actually a tech issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not just a straight up political story. Well, I mean, as someone who feels very impacted by all of this, I'm, I consider myself someone who works in the tech industry um, and I'm a visa holder. So for, you know, one of the things that I was reading over the weekend that really frightened me was that, you know, people from those seven countries at the moment who had H-1B visas that's similar to the visa I'm holding basically weren't being allowed through the borders at all. Whereas green card holders, whom you would think decidedly were more safe, right, it was just unclear if they were going to be able mm-hmm. to let go through at all. So that to me... Um, and to many other workers in tech like myself, um, that's a huge concern. And not just the, the people who are visa holders, but your coworkers and, and you guys, right? You would be affected too if I was held at the border. You know, like you wouldn't have any reviews to. Well, you would have fewer reviews and, to edit. You know, you take a bigger company like Apple. Yeah. Um, really had to scramble over the weekend to um, look after hundreds, in some cases, of employees who yeah. were abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know their ability to come back was sort of um, in jeopardy. Yeah. Well, I mean that's and that's sort of the thing I think is a the tech industry is heavily reliant on immigrants um, more so than a lot of under, other industries, and a lot of that has to do with um, America's failing to train enough engineers and computer scientists and stuff like that. Um, and so we 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 need to import people to do those jobs. Um, and then the other part is that it's an industry that is very global yeah. and you know requires a lot of traveling and moving people about from country to country, and this kind of throws a wrench in things, right? Yeah, and the nature of the internet, like you said, it's global. It's, it's, you can't avoid the fact that you're going to have to work with people from every country, and I don't see how shutting down your borders or preventing people from other countries from working in your country is going to help you internationally with your relationships with other countries at all. Um, one of the things that came out early this week was rumors uh, that another immigration 
order or bill was being considered that would increase the minimum wage of uh, the H-1B visa, which, again, the tech industry is heavily reliant on mm -hmm. to a minimum of about 100,000 or 130,000. So there's there's different bills being passed mm -hmm. around. One's from a congresswoman, uh, Lofgren, um, and that one's the one that proposes $100,000 as a minimum wage. And that, What's I mean, the minimum currently on the H-1B? It's prevailing wage for the industry, so that changes depending okay. on the year, um, and it's closer to 60,000. Okay. Yeah. So what this is looking to do, what this bill would be looking to do then is set like just a hard baseline. For yeah, everybody. right. And in Sherlyn's case, she would be held to the same standard as a software developer, and right. which isn't fair because software developers, as many of you might imagine, make more money than us. Yeah. News people. Yeah. And uh, and this also kind of limits it to people to companies that are able to afford to pay people that much, right? So smaller startups who can't afford that much probably can hire anyone on an H one B. Mm -hmm. um, which is unfortunate because, you know, it, it's not that Americans can't do the job altogether. But for me, I've studied computer science since I was God, 12, 13, like in school. Mm -hmm. um, that's just because Singapore loves computers for some reason. And for some reason, for they're some okay. Reason. Yeah, they're all right. all right. But I've been like, you know, designing websites. I've learned code since I was basically a child. So... I mean, I'm familiar with all of this stuff. Um, I'm not a full-time programmer. I could be if I wanted to, but let's nah, <laughs> not go into that. Yeah, a little humble brag uh, in there. Um, I could code if I wanted to. Yeah, but <laughs> my idea of the American education system, even today, doesn't have that kind of an emphasis on you know computer engineering, yeah. which is what the industry sorely needs. Yeah, I mean, it's something that other countries have done a, a much better job at prioritizing and right. training people to do. Um, I mean, I think you're starting to see America slowly coming around about how important STEM education yeah. is, but we're a little bit late to the game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the issue is um, that we just don't have the people to fill these jobs. It's as much as, you know, the, the rhetoric might be about how it's immigrants coming and taking American jobs, but that's just not really how it works as a general rule. And, and I mean, there's obviously calls for training, right, yeah. to impart skills to people who might want these jobs, but that takes time. And meanwhile, you need people to fill these jobs or you're going to fall behind other countries. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of other countries other than the ones that immediately spring to mind that are, you know, that are going to take over really quickly in terms of, you know, cyber the cyber competition anyway. Yeah. And I mean and the other thing to think about there is um often these jobs are concentrated in certain areas. You know, obviously a lot of the um software development jobs, a lot of these coding jobs are all focused in the Bay Area or they're focused in New York. Mm. And getting somebody to move there is also problematic. True. Like um, if you were born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio, you might not want to leave Cincinnati, Ohio just to take a coding job. Whereas if you're somebody looking to move to America, you probably don't care. It's right. like, I'm taking a job no matter where it is. Right. Like, I don't care where I live, really. In our, I don't really care. I mean, New York's fine. New York's all right. Yeah, it's okay. It's, it's okay. It's all right. Um, Lies, it's the best. It's the best. Mm, okay. You're, you're with two native New Yorkers here. This is, I'm, I consider myself a New Yorker. There we go. Hey. Yeah, but you're not native. I'm not native. I don't no. care. Um, yeah. Uh, you don't have his sweet Staten Island accent. Thank God. Which I, uh, <laughs> I did not know was a thing, by the way, that I had this. I don't, I don't hear it either, but that's because I'm deaf in one ear now. It's the way he says Staten Island, ironically. I mean, that for sure. There's certain words. There's Staten Island. Okay. Because it turns into a single word. <laughs> There we go. The Staten Island Ferry? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> we are getting way off topic. Yeah, we are. We're, we're trying to, actually, it seems like. But, um, I mean, one last thing I will say is that, like, this already has a lot of immediate impact on how, on certain countries, right? The, mm -hmm. the Just the proposed bill itself caused, like, the Indian IT industry to almost, like, to just suffer completely. Like, some of the big... So, the, the reason the Indian IT industry is kind of concerned here is because a lot of these H-1B visas go to Indian IT workers and you know it's about 70% of H-1B visas which and 
these are going to specific companies like big consultancy companies like Tata, which is a huge Indian company, yeah. Infosys. Um, and so once that news spread that it was probably going to be harder for them to get those visas, their collective uh, market value like tumbled $7 billion over in India. And that's just crazy. That's like huge losses. Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere, I, it, to, that's just and the Indian government apparently the, their Ministry of Foreign Affairs has apparently said something to the Trump administration that they are concerned about this. I don't know that that's a strong enough stance, but you know at least they've said something. And I I, I hope and expect more countries to come forward. I think uh, Angela Merkel, Angela Merkel, has has said something um, strongly about this, but more about the refugee. Yeah. Ban than anything else. We're just making enemies everywhere. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Might, <laughs> might be a good idea for me to consider not trying so hard to stick around. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> no, we want you here. Yeah. I I want to be here too. You just you just have to be careful about what you say now. I do. Can we get to Can we get to that though? Like <laughs> I've been watching what I tweet. Have you? I have. I've been a trying to be more sensitive. Like I think Dana mentioned this earlier um, or yesterday actually that. It's it kind of feels wrong. So I I mean we came in on Monday after this weekend of nonstop news and you know people are making small talk. How was your weekend? I felt I felt like I spent my whole weekend on Twitter, um, not even tweeting and retweeting the whole time though I was, but just that was my main news source yeah. and. Um, I found it really hard to step away because what if I step away and go to sleep and news breaks overnight and I miss it? Um, I, I had a similar experience, yeah. I've been staying up later each night. I have been doing less unwinding. I've been having more screen time. And so, um, and a lot have been on Twitter, actually. Um, and we could talk about the reasons that Twitter seems really well-suited. Yeah. It does seem ironic, though, right? Because Twitter is a company that has struggled to find its identity and find out how to make money off itself. And I still don't know the answer to that last part, but this is Twitter at its best. Mm-hmm. I think when people well, flock best. to it and sti- <laughs> well, at its most useful yeah. and most yeah. critical, where people flock to it and stick and stick with it for hours because they see it as a primary news source, yeah. right? Yeah. How does Twitter take advantage of that and turn that into um, a business model? I think Twitter needs to understand its user base really well because it, this is this is an issue that really you know, struck a chord with the people that use Twitter, people who are techie, people mm-hmm. who are younger. Um, whether you're leftist or rightist, there's a lot of them on Twitter, and this issue really resonated with a lot of them. And immediately you have, you know, the hashtag method of collecting, you know, the news around this topic. That really, I think, helped them a lot. And if Twitter understands how people are using it a bit more, they could strengthen their product hate that word, but <laughs> hate the word product. I mean, it's, ter- it's almost as bad as content. It's almost as bad as content, yes. Um, I mean, I, I, like you, Dana, have found myself kind of glued to Twitter more and more over the last several months. Um, you, however, were saying yesterday that it's actually changed the way you use it. Yeah, I mean, so at least in the past few days, I've started to feel, if I feel that I post too many non-political things... Um, at once or in a day, whatever that means, I start to feel guilty. Um, yeah. So it's... <laughs> um, so you feel like you're not allowed to talk about well, things that aren't politics. I worry that if, if I tweet too much about lighthearted stuff at a time like this, that I come off looking tone deaf or like I um, am ambi- not ambivalent... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Not insensitive. Complacent, maybe. Oh, yeah. um, okay. Complacent about what's going on, not worried. Um, and I'm also, I mean, everyone's Twitter feeds are different, right? We all follow different people and have different people visible to us. But it does, to, to an extent, feel like we are all in a big room together where the tone is largely the same. And if, if everyone else is tweeting about politics, I think as humans, we want to behave in a normative way and behave in a way that... M- mirrors how our peers are behaving. So if, if other people are mostly tweeting nonstop about politics, I feel tempted, even without thinking about it, to follow suit. And when I do tweet about stuff that's silly, which I normally would have, 
I feel weird. I'm like, yeah. you know, do I look out of place yeah. and insensitive doing this? I also, so that literally happened to me where I spent most of the weekend not paying attention to the news because it was Chinese New Year and I was just calling my parents from, from here all the time. So when I really found out what happened was around Sunday late afternoon. And before that, I had posted a series of silly selfies and, and Chinese New Year related stuff that seemed very tone deaf. And that's when I kind of looked back and was like, holy crap, all this has been going on, and I've been here posting selfies. And that really upset me, so I immediately had to, like, it's interesting, say something. Because I think we're all our own worst critics in that we sense. Are. You know, I, I would have put two and two together and said, oh, um, Chinese New Year is important to Sherlyn, and she's celebrating it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have thought any more about it. Um, but I think in that sense, we're all our worst critics of who we are on and off yeah. Line. Yeah. I am like I I obsessively checked the timestamp of my <laughs> selfie and I was like, oh my gosh, when did the news break and when did I post this? And like do I look like I was reacting to it? Like it's just bad for me and But it's stressful. I mean the news cycle right now is stressful enough and the added stress of constantly curating your online persona on top of that mm. is just um, enough to make someone want to take a social media break. Which I try which to is probably do. a healthy thing. Yeah. I, I more or less did that this weekend. I'm not going to lie. It was nice. It was good. That's good. It's good. Good Then break. you woke up to the horrors that unfolded. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, I spent most of Saturday not on the internet and then, like, avoided it for most of Sunday as well. But I feel like silence almost... I mean, it's it's something that's your right, and, and taking that break is you know something you should do. But you know, remember how people were calling out Lin Manuel for, for Lin Manuel Miranda, anything. yeah, yeah. So I mean, people still expect public figures. That, to... Yeah, the guy who called him out for that though is, is just a, a jerk. I said for those at home, Lin Manuel Miranda, the creator of Hamilton. the show Hamilton, um, which celebrates diversity. Yeah, mm. he somebody called him out for not saying anything on. Said twi- something like it speaks volumes that the, you're your not hearing. Yeah, yeah like. Dude, and it, it was, was a New York a, Times columnist. It was. A I thought that was inappropriate Saturday, on multiple levels. Yeah. It was a Saturday. I was with my family. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, I think it was inappropriate on a couple levels, right? I yeah. think a New York Times columnist should um, not be crossing that line, going that far. And I think that, I think Lin Manuel Miranda in particular. I think people are right to wonder what he's thinking, thinking or saying, but I also don't think he has as much to. Prove. Yeah, I mean, um, he's under no obligation. Yep. Like, if he I, wants to remain silent, that's his you right. You know, but I did understand why some people were eager to hear um, Cheryl Sandberg from Facebook say something about the Women's March a couple weeks ago. Yeah, well, she she is under more of an obligation, though, I feel like. Like, as a person... Who does business with Peter Thiel. Yeah. Like, there's... And as a woman who other women look up to. Mm. Yep. Like, these are all, like, obvious areas where she has an impact, she has import, um, she has influence. It's not just about her personal opinion as a human, it's about what her position says about um, the position of Facebook as a company. It's about, and to an extent, she has, uh, you know, the ear of people in um, the orbit of Donald Trump. Like, this is the sort of thing, like, her... Her opinion matters more right. than Lynn Manuel Miranda. When I think that, I mean, I think that when people in positions of power speak out, that's you know that has more weight to you know people like Donald Trump or people in his administration who have to take that uh, opinion or point of view more seriously because it comes from someone like Sherrod Sandberg or or you know who, everyone that signed the Tech NYC um, immigration disagreement. I forget what that's called. Petition. Yeah, so so I think there are certain people where they should, and they're not obligated to. That's not us. <laughs> that's not us. That's yeah. not you and I. We should not feel like I don't. Oh, well, I kind of. We're did. probably not going to get called out for being silent. No one. No, no one. A period. Yeah. No one's waiting. Nobody cares. Excitedly <laughs> for me to say I do not like this. I oppose this. But um, I mean though, if if anyone else did feel like they would want to say it, I I say go for it. I mean, the more people that speak out against it, the better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 other thing uh, I was thinking about when you guys talking is like, um, you were saying that you feel bad about tweeting all of this stuff that's not political. And then, well, Facebook is a whole other story because <laughs> oh, most of my political activity is on 
Twitter, and I think there are a couple of reasons for that, right? My following on Twitter is about ten, more than 10 times as big as on Facebook yeah. and includes a more diverse range of people, whereas in Facebook, to me, is a tiny little echo chamber. That's another, another little humble brag there, guys. Dana's got lots of Twitter <laughs> ten followers. Times. Or I just don't have many Facebook friends anymore. <laughs> um, so, anymore. Um, yeah, Facebook feels like a small echo chamber, and I think Facebook was designed with less built-in tolerance for repeat manic posting, right? Yeah. So I could retweet three things in five minutes on Twitter and that won't look weird yeah. or and it won't it probably won't annoy people. It would on Facebook. So Facebook in the first place, I feel that I need to be more selective. And the first thing I've cut on Facebook most of the time are news links because oftentimes I have tons of other people in that same feed sharing the same links, mm -hmm. right? So it just becomes information overload. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think in general, for other reasons, I post less on Facebook now. But what all that means is that as active as I've and vocal as I've been on Twitter, I look pretty damn silent yeah. on Facebook. Um, yeah. So when I did post on Saturday night about a comedy show I went to, I immediately felt guilt. Like this is the first thing I've posted about. I've posted about here on days. Yeah. In days is this comedy show I went to. I probably look. I regretted it afterwards. I think I probably looked pretty tone deaf, even though I know. I'm very active on this other social network that I still believe is yep. bit more conducive to political discourse than Facebook I agree. ever was. I feel like Facebook's more personal, and that's the same. I mean, you even liked that status I posted after everything that I realized happened, and I felt like I had to explain myself on Facebook. Just be like, yeah, the reason I've been silent is because I only noticed it on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> you know, I'm not, you know, oblivious to all of this. But you were saying something. I'd forgotten by now. Something about... When it's other people, I, I, I take some comfort in seeing um, happy moments from other people's oh, yeah. lives. So, I mean, please do keep posting. If not Chinese New Year, your pets, your <laughs> vacations with your kids. Food. How about food pictures? Food photos are, are yeah. cool, too. Just okay. keep reposting the, uh, the Arthur theme. For, uh, as performed by Chance the Rapper, John Baptiste, and Ziggy Marley. It's good, good times. It just, it just whatever makes floats your boat. Yeah, I mean that's just that's just that's how I've made my week more tolerable. Is I've just played that on. Loop. I've just been looking at cute puppies on Instagram. Also a good one. Nonstop. It's the I only just look way. at my dog and my cats and then just go, "You're adorable. You're good. Good for you. It's, good, good for you." It's like having my own Instagram feed in my home. <laughs> what do you look at, Dana? Pictures of running. <laughs> Pictures of people she just running. Looks at marathoners. That's <laughs> oh, actually, um, so. Um, Home decorating, home home decorating oh. porn is kind of my jam right mm. now, um, and so is HGTV. So while I'm on Twitter obsessively staying up, I have HGTV on in the background in um, a very poor attempt to keep me calm. Uh, if it helps, you know, I watched Shark Tank to take my mind off it, and then I was reminded why America is kind of cool sometimes. Because of Shark Tank? Shh, you got the American dream. Sure, okay. It's over I, and over again. I've literally show. never watched the show, oh, okay. so... It's, it's a, I watch anything that's business-related on reality TV. Shark Tank, isn't that from Mark Burnett, the same guy who probably has tapes of Trump that he never released? Oh, the guy that, that released that other, or the one that was recording that other tape that was about grabbing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he probably does. I like that you censored yourself there, as if like you're usually dem demure <laughs> and wouldn't People say it. People don't know me like you guys do. <laughs> no, everyone does. Yeah. Everyone knows I'm crass. Um, but I, I, again, another thing about Twitter, though, is that, like, I, again, later in the week, it surfaced that uh, the Trump administration or something was considering making your social media information uh, part of the information you have to disclose at the border. And that, to me, was one of the reasons I started censoring myself on Twitter as well. Which I was is like, a shame because, yeah. I mean, really, um, your First Amendment yeah. rights um, is the most you American. To, um, post about cats and whatever you post about well, on Twitter. Yeah, but I also, like, now I, I, I'm so careful to look at whether I'm posting anything that looks un-American. I'm like, oh, what if I share this thing about China? I mean, none of us are going to go on Twitter and say, we think Donald Trump should be shot. Right. You can't do that. No one, but, yeah, um, I'm not doing that. Uh, I may have suggested <laughs> play in traffic at some point. <laughs> Um, and even that, I mean, I think there's there is a discussion there about how far can you go and still be in your First Amendment rights yeah. on, on public social media. To oh, be yeah. clear, this was before he was president, yeah. so okay. leave but, me alone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, barring even gray area stuff like that, um, right, the border agent should not be looking at your... Yeah. Using that as a criterion for letting you into... 
That's just strange. But I was like, let's post more America things. So y'all will be seeing all of that. In You're just going to post photos of American flags for the yeah, next, like, or, every hour on the hour for the next yeah, four years. Barbecues yeah. and, like, you know, American flag. I'm going to get you a cowboy hat. Yeah I, yeah, I probably have one of those. You probably have one already? I also have American flag leggings. They're beautiful. I will be wearing them <laughs> indefinitely <coughs> to work. We need to have another podcast discussion um, that's actually an intervention about <laughs> Sherlyn's online shopping habit. <laughs> um, and you. Um, what do I need an intervention for? You showed up to work the other day forgetting that you had signed up for a Sierra Club membership. Oh, day. yeah. This is, yeah. He mentioned the Sierra Club before, but yeah, 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 he, yeah, yeah. he impulse bought a Sierra Club membership and forgot about it. Well, I impulse donated to them okay. and got a membership card. Oh, yeah, that's what you just said. Okay. And I was like, I don't remember Well, we also this. need an intervention for V. So it could be a whole intervention episode. Yeah, I, and also, to be, I don't think I need an intervention for, like, do. making small donations to people. Like, that's not, that's, that's fine. It's just, I mean, it's just funny that some of us have an online shopping habit where we wake up the next morning and are like, oh, I have a cast iron skillet now. And you're like, oh, I have a Sierra Club membership. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a silly thing to impulse buy. That's, yeah. I like our environment. I, I like mean, our no, that's what that's what my boxes from Amazon contain. Yeah. Cast iron skillets. <laughs> yes. It's part of your New Year's resolution. I support it. More frittatas. There we go. Yeah, oh. there you go. Um, <laughs> I think that's a, that's a, a good, solid place to, to end, end the episode. Yeah, more frittatas. Um... Sherlyn, you have anything to add? Any last thoughts before we go? I I will be very, no, I can't. No? Okay. I can't. Uh, where can the fine people find you on the interwebs? If you're the Border Patrol? Nowhere. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. No, at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. I don't care. They can have it. Dana? I am Dana Wallman on Twitter. Uh, I am at, at Terrence O'Brien. Lots of E's, no A's. Um... Just wanted to throw back real quick. Um, if you haven't donated to the ACLU, uh, you should do so because they can always use more money. Um, so that's always a nice thing to do. Um, and, you know, tax season is coming up, so, you know, you can write off that stuff. It might be a little bit too late no, for can't. this year. Not for this year. ACLU is not tax deductible. It's not? No. Oh, yeah, right. I've tried to do that in previous it doesn't, it, it, I mean, if you believe in the cause, you should still donate. Just don't donate because you think you'll get a tax benefit. I was unaware that they are not tax deductible. I I'm I believe thought it's they were when I first signed up, but maybe it's changed. Also I'm first while we're yeah. while we're on this, I'm gonna find out ACLU tax deductible. Tax deductible. It's a very good way to end the the podcast. Wouldn't it be funny if I just gave you an alternative? Gifts to the ACLU Foundation are fully tax deductible <laughs> to the donor. All right. Boom. Well, for more Fake alternative facts, Wallman. you can find me at Dana Wallman <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> I prefer alternative snacks, but mm. I do too. I like that. Um, yeah, uh, where were we going? We oh, we were, were ending, ending the show. Yes. Um, so yeah, go donate to the ACLU. It's it's a great cause. They can use your money. Um, obviously, also subscribe to our show on iTunes or whatever your podcast app of choice. Your we could ratings. use we could use your your listenership and your reviews and ratings and all of that stuff. Um, if you have questions, feedback, comments, all of that stuff. If you just want to send me hate mail, tell us uh, about your favorite alternative snacks. Yes, tell us about your favorite alternative and snacks. And Dana please. will make them. Hashtag alternative snacks. Yeah. Um, you can hit us up at Engadget Podcast on Twitter. Um, you can also email us to podcast at engadget.com. Uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to tune in next week. But before we go, I want to leave you with the comment of the week, which comes from Tech Guy 25 He says simply, Wow, that's sad. <laughs>